oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't tryna steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two What it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn Two Podcast Pre-opening day edition Couldn't be more excited Baseball's right around the corner for most teams, there's a little bit of weather holding up the issue, but there will be baseball play this weekend. I guarantee it. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Today, we're going to be talking about early season strategy and fantasy baseball, and I have a couple of kick-ass guests joining me immediately on my right. If you are watching uh, live on YouTube right now, if not, you are in suspense uh, over on the podcast. Uh, she is the, uh, the the host or co-host over at uh, Cup of Cubby Blue and a uh, writer over at Bleed Cubby Blue Sports. Spoiler alert, she's a Cubs fan. So Sarah Sanchez. What is up, Sarah? Welcome to the show. I'm doing good. I'm excited for opening day, although I think the Cubs might be one of those games that gets postponed. Thanks for having me. It's a bummer. It's a bummer because like rain delays happen all the time. Um, last year was brutal, but uh, it's just like after all this, you just like want to get the opening day in. Like, how dare you demand? How dare you delay our game? And uh, our our next guest knows all about that because uh, his favorite team is the Yankees. They've already been postponed, but alas, they will play this weekend. He is uh, over at uh, CBS Fantasy, the uh, host of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, Mr. Frank Stampa. What is up, Frank? Yo, what's going on, Matt? Nice to see you again, Sarah. I know we did a draft earlier this all season together. Happy to be here. Opening day eve. It's a great day. Unfortunately, yes, the Yankees have already been postponed. We've got some gloomy weather here in New York, but alas, they will play eventually. Looks like Friday. Keep your fingers crossed. Frank, also fellow Tout Wars champion, reigning champion. So we're out there trying to uh, defend our crown. Sarah, she, she's in. We were talking before the the uh, talking before the show. She's in Tout Wars this year. She's looking to uh, make some noise and uh, it kicks some ass. So, uh, uh, what, what what league are you in, Sarah? I'm in the 12 team mix, uh, and that's a league that uses on base percentage, saves plus holds, and innings pitch. So it's got a little bit of a different strategy going there. But I really love, I love the team I put together there. It's kind of fun. Frank, which are you in the 12 team mix too? Which one? Which one did you win last year? Last year I won the 12 team head to head points uh, salary cap draft. So I'm still in that same league. I'm looking to defend the crown. Got like Ariel Cohen in my league, Nick Pollock, the Welsh, uh, Spore, lots of great players in there. I'm rooting for you, Sarah, but I can't root too hard because you're in the same league as my guy, Chris Towers. So see what happens. Yeah, Chris and I bookended that draft. I think he had the first pick and I had the 12th pick or something like that. And uh, yeah, I'm in the draft and hold. So I mean, I know I, our draft took like approximately one month to do. There's no clock, which is just a terrible choice. Yeah. Uh, every as, as soon as the lockout ended, there's just that no one picked. Uh, and we had to kind of move it along, but yeah, good luck to all of us. Hopefully we all win and we can do this at the end of the year. Um, but anyway, everyone, no one listening cares about our teams. That's the, that's the actual truth. So let's jump into uh, the point of the show, which will be early season strategy for fantasy baseball. There's a lot of ways um, this question can be framed in terms of 
things you're watching for in terms of like how the game will be played with like the designated hitter now in the National League, how teams are going to use those at bats, what you're looking for for specific hitters, uh, pitchers, everything like that. So we have a few different ways we're going to break this down. First off, we're just going to talk about players, um, individuals that we are looking for early in the season, what we want to see out of them uh, for any particular reason. Uh, Sarah and Frank brought a couple of examples with them, and I have a couple I want to talk about myself. So starting with Sarah, uh, who is your first player you want to talk about? Someone you want to look at early in the season, what you're hoping to see from them uh, to kind of give you an idea what to expect for the rest of the year. So the Mets rotation was vaunted to be like this juggernaut that everybody was like, Gus Scherzer, you've got Dick Brom. And neither of those guys are healthy at the moment, which I think really make, creates an opening for Tyler McGill. Uh, you know, with Taiwan Walker getting pulled from his last start with some knee issues, I think that Tyler McGill stepped up last year and he showed that he can hold down a rotation spot that could be a nice potential add if he wasn't already picked up in your leagues. But he's a, he's a guy that I want to see what he can do. And I want to see specifically if he can keep the Mets competitive while they wait to get Scherzer and DeGrom in that you know big top two back and ready. I love Tyler Miguel as a Mets fan. Uh, I mean, Scherzer, it looks like he's ready to go. He's slated to pitch game two of the season right now. Uh, Chris Bassett looks as advertised. Tywin Walker slowed down the last half of the year. He has knee issues. He left his last start. Who knows? So Tyler McGill will be huge. Lumbering six foot seven gentleman. Uh, velocity up in spring training uh, across that nice threshold. You always talk about like the jump between 94, 95, 96. He's kind of overtaken that in spring training. If you can keep that up, it can be big. I had Nick Pollock on the show not too long ago. He had kind of brought out the comp of his ceiling of this big guy who just has this nice nice fastball that he can pinpoint and just even if he can work on his changeup and breaking ball a little bit so they can just be, you know, league average or a little better. He thinks there's a chance like a Brandon Woodruff type step forward. This what he's capable of. That's obviously a big name. Uh, not something you should necessarily expect in fantasy. But uh, Frank, what are your thoughts on Tyler McGill? Because he's uh, he's been a popular sleeper. Uh, people weren't assured of his playing time. But if you know the Mets and the, the names in the rotation, you were pretty sure that he was going to get an opportunity at some point. And boom, he's the opening day starter. <laughs> Yeah, so towards the end of draft season, I was gobbling him up everywhere. So I had my main event draft last Friday, and we had the news earlier that day that Jacob DeGrom was going to miss at least the first month of the season. So right then, you know, the light switch goes off, and I'm like, yes, I'm drafting Tyler McGill tonight. I'm in, so I love to hear the comp on Brandon Woodruff. Uh, the slider and changeup had a 31% or better whiff rate last season. On each of those pitches, you mentioned the fastball. He throws mid-90s. His K-minus walk rate, 19% last year. You love to see that. He's got to cut down the home runs. That was a huge issue for Tyler McGill last year. But I kind of feel like the pieces are there. He just now needs to put everything together. So definitely interested in Tyler McGill. Was drafting him late in a bunch of drafts. And if you play in a 10 or 12 teamer, he still might be on the waiver wire, as Sarah mentioned. So definitely a name I would be looking to scoop up if he's available. And the best thing is some of his flaws. Um, he, he struggled like uh, after two times through the road, uh, through the lineup, and you know career high in innings. He would jump from a ball last year, so he's, he's interesting, very very interesting. Uh, Frank, who's your first player? So we we're talking about Tyler McGill. These are players that um, we are very interested in seeing how they start off the season. So Frank, who's your first player? So I'm going to go to New I'm going to stay in New York as well here. But first, I I'm sorry, man. I'm going to change things up a little bit because you got me thinking when we when you first started about just like general things that we're looking at early in the season. And I do really want to pay attention to if we could take anything away from the baseball that we're that they're using, because we really haven't gotten any indication last year. We know that they were mixing some of the older balls in the bouncy balls and these dead in baseball. So the first month, I really want to look at home run rates, 
run rates in general, BABIP, and see how that compares to years past. So I think that's something. And prospects. There's so many fun prospects being drafted right now. And guys that we're excited about, Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Bryson Stott, all making the team. Everywhere but Pittsburgh. Everywhere but Pittsburgh, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) Last year was a very inconsistent season for prospects. And I think that makes sense coming off the shortened 2020 where there was no minor league season. So those are two things just in general that I I wanted to hit at top here. And I'll be paying close attention to early on. The sad thing is with the baseballs is you still don't know. You can yeah. travel. I mean, who knows? It, doesn't it look like the end of last year? It looked like they where there was reports that you Darvish was like given a ball, a pre-tack ball that they were using in Japan that MLB was going to like, why didn't they just decide on something? Um, I think they so, were I mean, too busy trying to figure out a way for baseball to be played. But the physical baseball itself is such a great point because we know now there's going to be humidors in all 30 parks, which means yep. that parks that we thought were super hitter friendly might be a little less hitter friendly. Parks that we thought were super pitcher friendly might be a little less pitcher friendly. And that is all new data that we're going to have to gather for the first month of the season or so. That's actually a point that um, um, a lot of people like DM me because I keep my DMs open to talk baseball with people. Uh, the humidor seems to confuse some. So this is good that you brought it up and the way you phrase it because uh, some people hear humidor and they just assume it's like a bad thing. Um, I mean, it can be <laughs> depending on, I mean, but the idea is it's not like you put it in all the parks and all of a sudden everything's bad. It, it, it brings it to neutral. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's, if, if something was traveling hot, you know, if, if, if a ball was, a like Sarah said, it, uh, it's, if you were in a hitter positive park, it, it kind of brings it down to neutral. If you were in a pitcher positive or positive park, it brings it to neutral. So it pretty much is trying to level the playing field as much as possible. So it's not really a good or bad thing. Um, in general, and I don't know how much of a needle it pushes as far as uh, your analysis would go. Um, you know, you can try to coin flip things. We'll, you know, we'll study as it goes along. But in general, I, I wouldn't like be like, oh no, there's humidors everywhere. The offense is going to suck. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be like that necessarily. Uh, Frank, uh, did you uh, did you want to go on to your first player? Was that your? Uh, did you, you replace one of your points with this? Did you did you hate one of your other points? No, no, no. I got the point here. I'm sorry for derailing the show, but I really did just want to get that off my chest. You got you got the wheels <laughs> kind of turning once you started talking earlier. So uh, I want to talk about Earl Chapman. So where is the control early in the season? The first two months last year, he had a 39.7 percent K minus walk rate, and then the final four months, which just so happens to coincide with the sticky substance crackdown, his K minus walk rate dropped to 17.6%. So 39% to 17%. That is a huge, huge jump. His walks per nine was over seven during that time. And there are relievers behind him that are capable. Jonathan Loisega, a great walk rate last year, about a strikeout per inning, not as many strikeouts as you would expect, but really good ratios. They still have Chad Green there as well. So uh, Roldis Chapman is someone I have not drafted at all. I know that closers are pushed up the board, but watching him very closely last season, Something was not right, and closer is already a fickle enough position already that I just didn't want to draft a closer who I had personal question marks about. So uh, Chapman is someone that I'll be watching very, very closely early on. Yeah, last I mean, anyone who listens to the show knows I've talked about Chapman on occasion, and this example is uh, you know something that I've uh, repeated a few times. But that game that they had uh, last year, where um, I can't remember was it Dunedin or something. He looked like he was just like off the rails <laughs> or he, he was just thrown at the backstop every other pitch. It looks like I got a full rank Ricky and kill meltdown. Uh, he ended the season on a much better note. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a weird, it was weird to watch. So um, yeah, plus you said that that whole Yankees bullpen 
could close. <laughs> Everyone there is is capable of closing. Uh, so, Sarah, what do you think of Roldis Chapman? Is he someone that you've been targeting um, at a discount? Because if he's on top of his game, he kind of has been being drafted at a discount in comparison to other closers, still being drafted really high because, you know, all closers have been. I have zero shares of Roldis Chapman, and I have a lot of Chad Green and Jonathan Lazica as guys that I picked as my last pick as a dart throw. Um, I agree with Frank. I think I look. I took a look at the spin rates by month, and Chapman's are off, and they're off right about the time of the sticky stuff crackdown. And it, and it coincides with his performance sort of be, being a little bit questionable. I'm not saying that Chapman has totally lost it. If you got Chapman at a discount, and he's your closer. Obviously, run with it and see what happens. But it would not shock me if the Yankees are competitive for Chapman to have a couple of meltdowns and for that job to go to Chad Green, or for there to be some stints where like Luazica gets a two a two inning save or something like that. And I just think that there are some saves to be had that are not Chapman's for the Yankees. And that's a super competitive division. So I don't know how long of a leash he's going to have this year. And I love, I love those kind of pitchers anyway, regardless of what Chapman happens with Chapman, uh, the way that uh, teams are using bullpens nowadays, the the less innings that starters are being thrown. Chad Green, especially the wise guy, look at how many wins and saves they had last year, especially wins. Uh, Kyle McHugh types, uh, Brent, Brent, uh, Brett Suter. I, there's a, uh, so many guys like that out there that are going to give you um, innings and lower your ratios and give you, you know, pad some strikeouts and give you some saves and wins. They're worth using, I think, in a lot of formats over mediocre closer or mediocre starters. Um, I think that is something I did last year that really helped me. And it's something that is worthwhile doing this year because yeah, to pick up these guys that could have an opportunity for saves. And even if they don't, they can help you kind of regardless. Um, so yeah, that's a role to Chapman. And the one sad thing, as I said, he had, he, he ended the season on a positive note. Uh, there was those reports that people were starting to game the system. This was from the umpires towards the end of the year. Immediately, everyone jumped on Garrett Cole's throat because sadly, <laughs> with, you know, uh, he's just the guy that people are going to jump down. It's unfortunate for him. Uh, he's just the poster boy and it's just the way of the world. But you got to think uh, if you were worried about a world as Chapman, you kind of think that way too. So um, if you didn't, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't invest in uh, Mr. Chapman, it may be best to try to maybe get yourself a backup plan in shallower leagues. It wouldn't be the worst idea to try to pick up one of those uh, setup guys on the Yankees. Uh, so moving along with players we want to talk about, or at least watch early, Kill Badu is my guy. That is a nice lineup they have there in Detroit, even with the sad news of Riley Green going down. Kill Badu is is due to lead off, and he looks like every day. There was a big struggle for him versus lefties last year, which led a lot of people to believe there could be a platoon situation this year, which there certainly could be still. Uh, but he has immense potential. He's one of my bold predictions was he goes 25-25. Last year against left-handers, 214 with zero home runs. He batted 273 with 14 home runs versus righties. He went deep twice in spring training versus lefties, which spring training, who gives a crap, right? But in this particular instance, yes, I do care. It still is a lefty. He had zero last year to this time. They look like they're going to go with him possibly every day. Now that um, Green is out, they did trade for Meadows, but he's a little flawed. They could end up platooning him down the road when Green comes back. And I don't want that to eat into Badu's at-bats. There's a chance it eats into Miguel Cabrera's at bats. Um, and th that's what I want to see, at least as a Badu person. So I want to see 
beginning of the year, how Badu does against lefties. And if he can stick in that lineup, the second he looks competent for like two weeks straight, anywhere I don't have him, I'm going to be like overly trying to get him in my, you know, get him over to my team. Even if he's like struggling, maybe struggling versus righties. If he looks solid versus lefties, um, I'll be very excited. Uh, any, any love for Badu this year, Frank, cause he's a very polarizing guy. You basically you're in or out for the most part, especially at ADP. All right, so I swear I did not make this bold prediction to just one-up you, Matt. And and maybe I saw it somewhere on your Twitter feed, and it was like in the back of my mind subconsciously. But I revealed this the other day uh, on FBT, and I said that Akil Badu goes 30-30 this year. So yes, yes. We're, we're in the same boat. Yeah, like I'm all over Akil Badu. You look at the, the stat cast metrics for him, 82nd percentile in max exit velocity, 91st percentile in sprint speed, the raw tools are there. Like he's going to hit for power. He's going to hit for speed. uh, He's going to hit for speed. He's going to run. But I think that if he's competent against lefties and he gets that playing time, then then we really could see big home run and and stolen base totals for him. So I'm right there with you, man. I wish I had more shares. I actually, I didn't wind up drafting enough Akil Badu and I'm kind of sad about it. I mean, this lineup, Grossman, Baez, Meadows, Miggy, Candyman, Shoop, Torkelson, it's a good lineup and Barnhart, not to leave you out, buddy. Uh, but uh, yeah, it could be good. Sarah, uh, you're with us here against us. We planted our flag here with Akil Badu. I love this Tigers team so much. I don't know that I'm in on Akil Badu 30-30, but I am in on Akil Badu as a breakout candidate for 2022. I think that this Tigers team is sneaky good. I think they have an outstanding manager over there who is going to keep everything together. I mean, I sort of love this idea that they've, they've brought up the young guys, right? Like Spencer Torkelson is going to get to play. Like they've done the whole, like, there's no doubt in his mind. He's going to have running room. They did the whole like Miguel Cabrera hands him his glove type of thing. I think they've got remarkable chemistry over there. And I, I think that my love for Akil Badu and yeah, I totally agree. Like the max EV is great. The sprint speed is great, but I think those counting stats, like he's going to have a lot of runs. He's going to ha- he's going to be at the top of a lineup that is going to get turned over a lot. It's going to be super excited, and I'm going to be watching a lot of Tigers baseball this this spring and summer. Where do you guys land uh, before we move off the Tigers and move on to everyone's second player? And again, we're talking about Kill Badu right now, but in the Tigers in general, it's a very exciting lineup. I love the. The additions they made, like Sarah said, they had a great manager who kind of made them a playoff team borderline talent-wise in the second half last year. Um, They bring in Javier Baez. The immediate thing from the fantasy community is like, oh, no, that is a terrible spot from a fantasy perspective. Comerica, not known for being a great hitter's park. If you're pulling the ball um, down down the lines, it's actually not too bad. Uh, but Baez kind of loves to live in the gaps. So that's not necessarily the greatest. I mean, the defense is phenomenal for a young staff. They bring in Barnhart, fantastic for a young staff. But um, what do you guys think of Baez? Because he is not necessarily being drafted at a discount, but he has kind of been forgotten about as far as anyone that uh, has been an exciting player for anyone to plant their flag on. He's just kind of been ignored. It's like I think people are just kind of afraid to plant their flag because it's just like, all right, we know who Baez is. We don't know what he's going to do this season. It's probably going to be a disappointment. So, I mean, Frank, what do you what do you think of Baez? Do you think that end-of-season spark he had with the Mets was just an outlier? Uh, or do you think that uh, maybe that they're not giving everyone uh, – everyone's not giving Baez enough credit? 
Yeah, I kind of worry about him in this spot. It's, you know, first year, new city, big contract. And I have about 12 or 13 teams and I haven't wound up with Javier Baez anywhere. I, I think it's just a matter of like, I'm targeting other second basemen, other shortstops. I like the dual position eligibility for him, but I worry a little bit about the ballpark. And, and just in general, again, it's just like first first year in a new city, new uh, new contract. I do typically worry about that first season and then maybe he gets better after that. But uh, I know Sarah probably has some takes on Javier Baez, given the uh, the Cubs background there. So Javier Baez is one of my favorite players. He's uh, him and you, I, you I lit love. up. By the way, you lit up when like it turned to you. Like, like let's I go Javi Baez. Baez. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some Javier Baez. My favorite note about Javier Baez when he signed with the Tigers was actually a comment that he he made in an interview. And you know, Javier is a is not is he's a student of the game. Like he spends a lot of time thinking about how he plays a really thoughtful player. He's a person who, if you hear him talk about the way he approaches the game, you would kind of be stunned. Cause I think that I, I think a lot of people sort of throw him in the like, Oh, he's flashy. He's like out there and he's just big and bold. And he's not thinking about stuff. A lot. He's very instinctual on the field, but he, when you talk to him about the game, he's putting a ton of thought into it. And the note that caught my eye was that he was so excited to go work uh, with Miguel Cabrera. Cause he wanted to learn how to be, to, how to have a better plate approach, how to strike out less, how to see what he see if he could take some walks. And honestly, if Javier Baez is really going to try to walk on occasion, I mean, I used to do this thing on my Twitter where I would be like the rare in uh, unintentional base on balls from Javier Baez because he just doesn't walk hardly at all. But if he adds some patience to his game and keeps that max EV, which is up there in like the, you know, it's it, his stack cast page. It's all red, right? Like the man can run, the man can hit. Uh, I think that he could be a spark plug for this Tigers team and, and the defense plays. He's going to, he's going to do great things. I actually don't think the contract is going to put pressure on him at all. I think all of those Cubs players, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, the pressure on them was, were they going to get an extension or were they going to get traded? And now that they've got deals and they know where they're going to be, I think all of them are going to be just fine. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what Javier Baez does with this Tigers team. And Detroit isn't exactly Chicago or New York. It's not like Lindor signed the massive contract and like the expectation was we want to win the World Series immediately. Detroit kind of knows like they got a shot this year in that division, but it's not like he does have pressure immediately to like put the team on his back or anything like that. Um, as far as taking pitches, don't clip his wings. He's a free swinger, and that's part of his genius. Just let him do his thing. I think I I, I would hate to in in 2020 the Cubs when they weren't allowed to do the video, they, they kind of gave instructions to the entire team to take more pitches. And I think that's kind of what caused Javier Baez to have such a brutal year. They were making this guy who already, you know, like has a swing and miss problem and they had him taking strikes to start at bats. Don't do it. Just, I mean, just I'm Miguel Cabrera is smart. You listen to him over me, obviously, but uh, I prefer he just kind of keeps his free swinging ways personally. Um, so yeah, that's Javier Baez. We're talking about Kill Badu. That was our first round of players that we want to watch going into this season. Uh, Sarah, who is your second player of who you want to take a look at closely going into this year? So Craig Kimbrell uh, is the next guy I want to talk about. I I have seen good Craig Kimbrell and I have seen bad Craig Kimbrell. And I, I've done some deep dives on what, what the difference was, at least during his time with the Chicago Cubs. And, and the thing with Craig Kimbrell is that, you know, he really works his magic with that knuckle curve and that fastball playing off of each other. And when his arm slot is in the wrong place, it's very easy for people to see the curveball coming. He stops getting swings and misses on it. They just sit on that fastball and they hammer it. Um, you saw some of those struggles uh, get resolved with the Cubs. You saw them pop up again with the White Sox when he was kind of put into a middle relief 
role. I have to believe that for the Dodgers to trade for him and for them to give up a player like A.J. Pollock, they have a fix in mind for what Craig Kimbrell can do and that they are going to use him as a closer and not mess around with him and put him in weird middle relief roles and those types of things. So I, I, I think it'll be real easy to see with the first couple of Kimbrell appearances, is he getting swing and miss misses on that curveball? And if so, I think that he is the same Hall of Fame elite closer that he has been for most of his career. But when he has mechanical issues, it's real obvious, real fast. And it's not, and it's obvious to the batter too. And they start just launching off of that fastball. The uh, everyone, as soon as he was traded to the Dodgers, he was greeted by about, I don't know, seven home runs in his first inning. Uh, so no one jump off anything. Uh, it's, it's spring training. It's relievers. Who really cares? Uh, what do you think, Frank, of this? And especially pitchers, uh, closers that are different in the ninth inning, because Kimbrel is certainly one of them. Edward Diaz is another, uh, Buster only of ESPN put out this tweet that got like a lot of run showing his first half with the Cubs versus his second half with the White Sox. And I just said that I think that's incredibly unfair. What you need to do is Ked Kimbrell in the ninth versus Craig Kimbrell in the eighth. And that is a much more accurate representation of, I think, what you expect because I don't know what it is. It's the adrenaline or what it is, but some pitchers are just ton, just completely different when they're not in the ninth inning. Yeah, I know. It sounds like we're making excuses for Craig Kimbrell, but I do think he's a, hall, a borderline Hall of Fame closer. And now you take him out of the ninth inning when he was with the Cubs and he was dominant. He was arguably the best reliever in baseball the first half of the season. And now he's setting up for Liam Hendricks. I mean, it's got to affect him mentally somehow. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly, but it definitely has to uh, affect him. So I think that that played into a big part of it last season. He gave up a ton of home runs uh, in his time with the White Sox. 1.96 home run per nine. So he's got to get that under control. But yeah, you just kind of, blindly trust the Los Angeles Dodgers here that they're going to figure this out. It was a mixed spring for Craig Kimbrell. He allowed eight runs in his first two outings. And then his final appearance on Tuesday, a clean inning, two strikeouts. He looked like Craig Kimbrell. He looked awesome there. So I kind of think he's in that same tier as a Roldis Chapman, just from a fantasy perspective where he's now back to being a top 10 closer. I have some question marks about him, but if he's on, he's probably going to be amazing for fantasy purposes. So I, I would actually still prefer him over a role to Chapman. Maybe that's just because um, how scared I am of Chapman. But uh, yeah, I, I think the Dodgers will fig Craig Kimbrell out and I think he'll be dominant once again. And like Sarah said, the Dodgers picked him up. They know they're smart. Um, you know, they wouldn't have acquired him if they didn't have a plan here and they thought he could take that role. They had a very talented bullpen, even with Kenley leaving. They had one of the best bullpens in baseball with no closer. They refused to name one. They said they'd go by committee. Boom, Kremble. Kremble comes over. They immediately name him closer. He's the guy. The thing here is also with with closers. I mean, you see how high Mark Melanson gets drafted in, in some drafts. It's just having a job is a big deal. Imagine the the name. I, I mentioned this in another show. Imagine the name was just taken off the jersey and in a draft, you were just able to take guaranteed closer of Dodgers. You don't even know who it is. It could be anyone. How high do you draft him? He's going to have 70 save opportunities, probably. I mean, it's going to be insanity. How many, you know, just the chances he could get. So, I mean, that, that in itself is, is pretty amazing. So I think people maybe need to over, maybe not overanalyze this as much. So that's Craig Kimbrell, um, Sarah's second player to watch during the first month or so. Uh, Frank, who is your second player? Yeah, it's Sean Manaya, another one who I've drafted a ton this offseason. And last year, you know, the surface level numbers weren't great, but the underlying numbers, 3.62 Sierra, his 20.3% uh, K minus walk rate, both of those ranked 16th among qualified starting pitchers, better than Walker Bueller, better than Joe Musgrove, better than Max Freed. A big reason for this was his velocity. 
92.2 miles per hour on the fastball last season. That was right around 90 in 2020. It was below 90 in 2019. And I, I didn't see any stat cast velocity readings for Sean Manaya this spring, uh, just based on the parks that he was pitching in. But I read an article that said he was sitting in the upper 80s, early 90s in like his first or second start. So that's not great. I, I want to watch early on in the season to see where the velo is for him because if it's up, then I think that we could potentially get this breakout season for him. Another thing I want to watch is now that he's with the Padres, do they change the pitch mix up a little bit? Because I think that he has a strong secondaries with the changeup and the curveball. He throws a sinker 60% of the time. And it's typically, you for any pitcher, you don't want them to use their sinker that much. So uh, last season, we saw Joe Musgrove go to the Padres and they incre increased his secondary pitch usage, uh, all of his breaking pitches. And he had that breakout season that we were waiting for for years. So if, if the Padres can do something similar with Sean Manaya, then I do think that we can get this true breakout season where, you know, it's a mid three ZRA, strong whip over a strikeout per inning uh, on a pretty good team with the San Diego Padres. Uh, and if all that happens, you know, maybe it's a top 20 starting pitcher season for Manaya. So I have lots of shares. Those are the things I'll be watching. Yeah, I mean, the velocity is definitely everything from Nye. I love him. Uh, he was one of my early guys early in the offseason. One of the early comps I did that gave me some hate because those Giants fans are very, very passionate out there. Uh, it was more of a plus towards Manaya, though, where I said, why after the year he had a completely healthy year where he got kind of got better as it went along? Is he being drafted as such a discount because of his injury history after a healthy year? where Logan Webb is being drafted so early. Sean Manaya kind of peripherally was on par with him, who actually missed extensive time. Again, this is Logan Webb. He missed extensive time. But this just past season with shoulder problems. Uh, so this, again, this isn't more of a dig at Webb. It's more of a just Manaya was going too late. Most drafts are over now. If you are still in one, uh, he's certainly someone that I'm a fan of. Uh, Sarah, how do you land on, uh, how do you land on Sean Manaya? You two hit on two of the things that I'm watching for with Sean Manaya, and I like Sean Manaya a lot. I think that he is going to San Diego, a, a great pitcher's park. It's a good landing spot for him. I agree with Frank that I'm curious to see what the pitch mix looks like because I think that there is a lot of potential for the Padres to move that around a little bit and get to another level with Sean Manaya. But the most important thing for the Padres with Sean Manaya, in my opinion, is the number of innings he's going to throw. If he goes out there and throws 175 innings for the Padres, like he did last year with the A's, that is absolutely going to be worth it for the San Diego Padres. They need innings out of him. And they, you know, they've had some rotation injury issues uh, last year that really put them back in a super tough division. So I'm really looking to see if Shamanaya can stay healthy and if he can give the Padres those innings. The one thing to watch out for, this isn't early. You won't know this early. Everyone's innings are going to be um, kind of clipped, but over a full season, the Padres, we know they have injury concerns. Once they are healthy, if ever healthy at the same time, Clevenger coming off his surgery, Snell has had elbow issues in the past. Manai has had shoulder issues in the past. Musgrove wore down with his innings last year. They could easily go to a six-man rotation, um, which for them would be probably great for fantasy, not ideal. Uh, but if it keeps everyone healthy, in, in the end, that would be ideal. So that's something to watch for, probably from a couple teams, maybe this year, uh, maybe even going forward. Something I always said, like you can always get the hybrid six-man rotation, which I haven't seen yet, where maybe you keep a couple of your studs on a normal rotation, but the other guys, you kind of like skip starts here and there uh, and keep like a couple of people on a normal rotation. So we'll see.
Uh, and that was Sean Mania. That was uh, Frank's second player to watch for early on. My third, my second one, well, Homer pick here because um, I'm naturally going to be watching this team anyway, Francisco Lindor. And I want to tie him to Starling Marte because the thing I'm watching is kind of tied to Buck Showalter, and that is how much the Mets are going to run. Francisco Lindor actually came out and said that the team was going to be looking to be more aggressive on the base paths this year, which is great news for Starling Marte because we weren't sure how that would tie into him. We saw him steal quite a few bags even after being sidelined earlier with an oblique. Um, Francisco Lindor, I expect a big bounce back here. His plate discipline was just great last year, second highest barrel rate of his career. He admitted to really pushing too hard coming to New York and then he struggled and then he got booed and he pushed harder and he struggled further and then he got injured. I mean, Mike Piazza was brutal. His rookie or his, sorry, his first year in New York, then he got better. So I expect a big bounce back with the bat anyway, but if we can get some speed back, even more speed from Lindor, that would be phenomenal. But in general, I want to see how Buck Showalter hang, ha, uh, handles the Mets because uh, yeah, you weren't getting Starling Marte at a discount. Um, you need him to get those stolen bases. Uh, so, uh, Frank, what are your thoughts here on uh, Francisco Lindor for the year? We'll just, you know, because he's basically the main guy I'm targeting. And then, yeah, and uh, just in general, uh, stolen bases on the Mets because value can be changed quite a bit for guys like Mark Hanna, you know, just uh, people that could maybe steal a few more bags. I love it. I'm in on Francisco Lindor. I mean, Matt, if you want, we could just go through my entire main event team. And <laughs> I feel like we talked about all the players already, but Francisco Lindor, I, I pulled him up the draft board in that draft. I was picking 14th out of 15 teams, and I took him with the second pick of round four. And I'm expecting a big bounce back. He kind of showed us something in September last year. He hit 257, nine homers, an 895 OPS. The barrel rate was up, the average exit velocity. He hit more fly balls. And if he's running more, too, obviously that's welcome. I keep making this comp to a poor man's Jose Ramirez, where if we get a middling batting average, 260, 25 to 30 home runs, 15-plus steals, that's a really, really valuable season out of Francisco Lindor. And if this Mets lineup performs the way that I think that they can, Stalling Marte, Pete Alonso, it's a very deep lineup now. Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna. There is a lot of RBI and run scoring opportunities. So I, I really do think that we can see that, you know, poor man's kind of Jose Ramirez season out of Francisco Lindor this year. That's why I always love Lindor, death by a thousand paper cuts player. He's not a standout in any particular category, but he's he could be well above average in, in, in kind of all of them, which is, you know, great when it's all added together. And especially Roto, Sarah, are you a Lindor fan? I am a Lindor fan, and I anticipated Lindor sort of having a little bit of a comeback last uh, year in the second half. I think, look, New York is a hard place to play. He's not used to that type of pressure. There was the whole, like, raccoon debacle thing that happened with him uh, out there. It, it, it was, you know, they had the whole booing, thumbs down thing. Like, all of that was nonsense that got into his head a little bit, and it showed on the field. And I think that Francisco Lindor in the second half – had a WRC plus of 118 in the first half. It was 97. Like, I think that he kind of got a little bit more comfortable there as the season went on. He is still a guy who can go 2020. He is still an elite defender. I think Francisco Lindor is going to have a bounce back for the Mets, and, and I'm excited for it. I'm all in on Francisco Lindor. All right, and that, that's uh, the, the end of our second round of picks. We got more runs to go. That was Francisco Lindor we're talking about now getting into the third round of players that we want to watch early season. Sarah, who is your final player? Uh, yeah, so I'm keeping an eye on Clint Frazier. Going to go a little bit closer to home here with the Chicago Cubs. Clint Frazier is still a guy who was drafted in the first round, and he struggled a lot with the Yankees. He never really found his place 
in that outfield. He dealt with concussion issues and it wasn't entirely clear like to me at the time, whether those were concussion issues, how they were being communicated to the Yankee staff, but it sounds like he got a lot of media pressure for them. He fits in really nicely on a Cubs team that doesn't have a lot of pressure on it where guys, a guy like him could very easily hit his way into an everyday playing time position super easily. He looked awesome this spring. The ball was really just jumping off of his bat every time he made contact. And there is a there is a very clear path for Clint Frazier to become the Cubs everyday left fielder if he wants to take it, right? Like there's a lot of guys out there trying to prove it right now. You've got Ian Happ, you've got Clint Frazier, you've got Rafael Ortega and Michael Hermosillo splitting some time in center field. Seiya Suzuki is kind of locked down right field. And then Jason Hayward at this point in his career, in my opinion, is a defensive replacement, which is a wild thing to say. Say about somebody who's making more than $20 million a year, but that's just where we're at at this point. If Clint Frazier comes out hot in the in April, he is going to have an everyday starting job for the Chicago Cubs, and he could rack up some serious numbers. I think you're talking about 25 home runs, and I think he could have a nice average while he does it. You can even throw uh, Jonathan Villar into that mix of people who could see outfield at bats. It's crowded. I mean, they traded Ho- Harold Ramirez giving a little more opportunity uh, for a guy like Clint Frazier. Um, but then, you know, they, they lock in Suzuki, like you said. Where do you see his at-bats being to begin the year? Because a roster resource at the moment has him weak side platoon, which I don't think he'll stick there. They have Hayward in there. I think, like you said, I think he's more of a defensive replacement at this point. Ortega, um, they have in there. I think he'll probably stick most days as a strong side platoon because he actually is a very good platoon player. Um uh, for anyone hoping for him to be every day, I don't necessarily think that'll happen. He struggles enough, I think, um, from the weak side, but uh, he should be in there against most right-handers. But uh, what are your expectations for way the the Cubs are going to handle him out of the gate? I think that the Cubs are going to have Ortega in there, like you said, on this on the strong side platoon, sharing time with Hermosillo, and then put putting Jason Hayward in there defensively late. I think Seiya Suzuki has the job in right as long as he wants it with occasional time at designated hitter. And I think right now Ian Happ and Clint Frazier are going to share some time in left field. And then they're also going to share some time at DH. But I wrote a piece about this last week. I think that uh, there's a path where Happ and Frazier hit their way onto this Cubs team because both of them have MVP offensive upside. And if they're both hot at the same time, you could. I would not be shocked at all to see David Ross put an everyday lineup out there of Clint Frazier, Ian Happ, and Seiya Suzuki as his outfield and just let them ride it out because both of those guys are former first-rounders. They have a ton of talent. When they're hot, they're incredibly hot. And I think that if they stay hot, they'll just keep that they'll keep that outfield and you know it will be not great for the Rafael Ortegas of the world or the Michael Hermosillos of the world but there's a way for the Cubs to have a really sneaky good outfield here with two guys trying to prove it yeah I'm with you what do you think Frank is it is a very interesting team to watch because they have a lot of depth I like to see how they're going to use that DH spot because Jonathan Villar um, has looked good. They look like very willing to force him in the lineup and maybe he gets everyday at bats from just moving around everywhere. But right now they have wisdom at third um, and the DH. They're probably going to try to use a lot of these outfielders, but uh, do you, do you think Villar kind of spoils that for everyone? Do you think they move him around the field? Uh, How do you think, uh, you know, what do you think of uh, first and foremost, Clint Frazier? And yeah, what do you think the the Cubs are going to do with that DH role? Yeah, so I'll just start with Jonathan VR. I think he'll get his at-bats. I think they'll move him around. He'll play a couple of times second, a couple of times shortstop, a couple of times third base. And before you know it, you know, if they play six or seven games in a week, he's probably playing five or six of those. So I think Jonathan VR will will find his at-bats. For Clint Frazier, 
it was weird, man. Like the, his concussion issues with the Yankees, like it was kind of like kept under wraps and there was like not a lot of information about what was going on, like you know, trying to research it, and you just really couldn't find anything about what was going on with Clint Frazier. And then comes out in the off season that you know, this was a serious issue for him. He, he even quoted saying like, he, he he was like fighting for his life. Like this is like a real issue for him. So I'm happy to see him land back on his feet here and get an opportunity to play. Uh, 162 games with the Yankees is what he played in his career with them. He hit 258, 24 homers, five steals, which doesn't sound that impressive. But when you think about five outfielder leagues, 12 team, 15 team, that's someone that's going to play, you know, back end, one of those fourth or fifth outfielders. He had an 806 OPS in his time with the Yankees, 114 WRC plus. And there were stretches where he looked even better than that. So I think that there is something there with Clint Frazier. He's got to keep his head on straight too. Like there's been times where like he, like, he, he makes defensive lapses and then he lets it affect him offensively. So if he keeps his head on straight, I, I think that there is something there uh, with Clint Frazier. Uh, and I think he's going to get at bats early on as, as the DH and, and left fielder and, uh, if he performs, then he'll continue to play even more. Yeah, and that's Clint Frazier. Again, he dealt with vertigo also. I mean, he had a lot of things going against him. So when Frank reads those 162-game numbers, it's even more difficult because you're not out there every day. You're not getting a lot of momentum. Tyler O'Neill himself, he, after his coming off his big year last year, they asked, what is the number one thing you attribute to your turnaround? Is it playing every day? <laughs> you know, getting into a groove. Uh, and nothing, you know, that that could be a big deal if he gets on a run and the Cubs kind of give, you know, let him go. Uh, so, again, that was Clint Frazier, Sarah's uh, last player to watch early. Frank, who is your third player? All right, so I kind of cheated here, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm not good with instructions, obviously, but uh, I've got a pair of players here, and just players that I want to see. What is the playing time like early for both of these guys? And it's Dom Smith and it's Connor Joe. Everybody has players that they can't quit, and Dominic Smith is one of those for me. From 2019 to 2020, he was awesome. 299 batting average, 937 OPS, a 150 WRC plus. Then it turns out last year, the numbers were brutal, way down, everything across the board. You're like, what happened to Dom Smith? Turns out he was playing through a torn labrum in his right shoulder. Uh, and now he comes back in spring, and he's having this awesome spring. And Brendan Nimmo is dealing with a neck injury. Surprise, Brendan Nimmo, always dealing with injuries. But I think that kind of opens things up for Dom Smith. So they can, I guess they'll have to move someone into center field. But uh, ultimately, it could help Dom Smith with his playing time. So him, and then Connor Joe, it's like kind of crowded in Colorado. It's not like crowded with great talent, but uh, I think Connor Joe is just really good. He showed us that last year, 283 expected batting average, lots of line drives. That will definitely play up in Coors Field. Strong plate discipline. He was good against both lefties and righties. So, you know, some people might just point and say, well, oh, he's a, you know, a weak side platoon. He's going to play against left-handed pitching. He was good against righties last year. Uh, so if he's playing every single day for the Colorado Rockies, that is a valuable player. Dom Smith, Connor Joe watching the playing time connor joe i did it um my buy the numbers article um i did last year towards the end of the year i was looking at just people who hitters after the june 21st deadline see how everyone performed after the sticky stuff was was remedied and i yeah i looked at all the plate discipline metrics batted ball quality barrels blasts everything and uh, i just raised it to certain thresholds where i was trying to weed everyone out and basically like 90% of the list was elite players. Connor Joe was on it though. I mean, he, he really did. I mean, everything you were looking for in a good hitter, he did, uh, you know, for most of the, like the last two thirds of the season. So yes, I'd love to see him get an opportunity. 
Dom, I love the dude is like the coolest, one of the coolest guys in baseball. You cannot root against him. He said his goal for this year was at 300 with 30 home runs. Uh, of course, Ramiel Tapia said he wanted to win the batting title though. So, I mean, take, take predictions <laughs> for what they're worth. Uh, but yeah, God, I'm shocked. He's not like the first baseman for the A's right now. Come the preseason. I thought for sure he would be playing everyday first base because he's a great first baseman. Um, and Pete Alonso doesn't want to DH, uh, not to take anything away from Pete. He has strides. He has become, he has become actually above average defensively uh, after starting out very much, not that way, but Dom, he needs to play every day. Hopefully he plays mostly DH Robinson Cano has been an issue. He's actually had a decent spring too. So yeah, I'd love to see them use him brutal left fielder. Like you said, Nemo's hurt. So he's probably going to get himself some bats because they don't really have anybody else. Um, any thoughts on those two players, Sarah, before we kind of uh, end it with my last guy? Yeah, for sure. Um, Don Smith is somebody I always keep an eye on. I always find myself drafting late because I love the bat. I think that the bat is awesome. And uh, it, like Frank said, he was dealing with some injury issues. And I just I, I think the hit tool with Don Smith is real. The thing that really jumps out to me with Don Smith and the reason we're talking about him right now, you know, when you look at the projections for him, the question is just playing time. Like the, the numbers are going to be there. The skills are going to be there, but the projections have him all over the place. Some 96 games to 139 games is the range of the projections. If you look down at the green fields on fan graphs, it's like, well, that's quite the range. You've got like 40 plus games that he could miss there. Um, I, I too was a little bit surprised that he wasn't traded. I, I would not be shocked to see him moved at the deadline in order for the Mets to bolster whatever they need to bolster in July. In terms of Connor Joe, Connor Joe is, is another guy that I think should get some playing time. The, the numbers are, are awesome. And I, but I, I don't know. That's, that's a lot more crowded of a roster at this point in time. And there aren't quite the injury issues that uh, the Mets are coming into the season with. So I, I feel a little bit more confident that Don Smith is going to have an impact early than that Connor Joe is going to have an impact early, but Baseball is a funny game. It could definitely prove me wrong. And the Rockies, you don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what they're going to do. They flip a coin every morning. Uh, is this going to be a good day or a weird day? Um, so the last, that was uh, Connor Joe and Dom Smith, the combination of Frank's last pick to uh, for players to watch. Um, the last guy that I want to talk about is Logan Gilbert. Uh, I wrote one of my extensive threads on him in the offseason. I'm a big fan. He really kind of turned it on last year. Major flaws. And the major flaw he had for, that was really caused him the most, the biggest issue was grooving fastballs. He has a good fastball and he wants to elevate it. He's trying to elevate it. Doesn't have enough, maybe enough ride where um, it got to where he wanted to go. Where he, when you have this, let's call this the strike zone. If you're watching on video, you want the, the, the fastball to be here or like here put it right here. He put it like in the, the high heart of the plate where everyone you're giving the batter elevation off the bat. You're basically handing him a home run if they hit it. And they did quite a bit uh, during the spring. He um, had just like fantastic uh, looking strikeouts at times. And then he went on to just get brutalized because he was leaving these in the heart of the plate. He can work in his change up more, which is solid and elevate that fastball a little bit. He could take this massive jump. I think that he's going to have some blow up starts. Maybe people will even cut him. Try to be patient though. Cause he's still a young pitcher. And I think he's just a couple of minor adjustments away from just being a beast. Um, so yeah, if, it, if Logan Gilbert has other issues like command and everything uh, around the plate, um, it's not a, you know, that's something else. But if you're watching him get crushed in like the top middle of the plate, that is just something that, you know, that's like an Aaron Nola problem. Like the home runs are going to be an issue for him going forward, but uh, definitely someone I want to watch early to see if he can try to make these adjustments. Cause if he had, if he refuses to 
go out of his way to uh, take that out of his game. He's going to have problems, but I believe I'm a, I'm a believer in Logan Gilbert. Um, what about you, Frank? Yeah, Logan Gilbert, I, I pegged as a breakout, and I love seeing that first start of spring where I think it was like three perfect innings, six strikeouts. I'm like, yes, it's happening. Logan Gilbert, and then his next two starts, he goes out and he gets blown up. Uh, but yeah, that's spring training, right? I agree with you, man. Like, I think all the individual pieces are there for him. He's got the hard fastball, and this is someone who's like six foot eight. So, you know, his 95 mile per hour fastball, the extension that he gets on it, it plays up. It comes at you at like, probably looks over 100 miles per hour for him. And then he's got the secondaries where his slider generated an 18% swinging strike rate, his changeup a 16% swinging strike rate. He just kind of has to put it all together. I don't know if it's sequencing, uh, but if he could do that, I think we could truly see a breakout season from Logan Gilbert. He has the prospect pedigree. Apparently he was working out with Jacob deGrom in the offseason. Like there is no better pitcher to be working out with right now than Jacob deGrom. So you love to read that. The, the next step is, is really just putting it all together. And if that happens, I think we can get a breakout season from Logan Gilbert. Sarah, did you buy in this year? Because he was kind of going in an interesting group of pitchers in, in drafts where you kind of were in or, you know, there's, he's going around like Eduardo Rodriguez, maybe Tyler Molly was making his way back there in some drafts or uh, people are letting him slip. So it's a, it's a, it, was a, it was an interesting group. So you had to kind of believe to invest this year. I have Logan Gilbert everywhere I could get him. And in the places that I couldn't get him, it was because he went a pick or two before I was about to take him. I am a huge believer in Logan Gilbert. I loved the note that he was working with Jacob deGrom because I think that he's he's a 24-year-old, right? Like some of this is just he's going to acquire new skills and he's going to learn stuff and get more interesting as time goes on. But one of the things that I love about Logan Gilbert is if you go back and look at his minor league career, yeah, you've got that home run issue. He had that home run issue when he started in A-ball. He, he, it lowered every single year he was in the minors, even as he went up levels, right? So he starts with like a 9.5% home run per fly ball rate, and then it goes to 6%, and then it goes down to 3.6%, right? So yes, the home run issue is real. He had a 10.9% home run per fly ball rate last season in his rookie campaign. I think he's going to work on that, and that is going to go lower. And I think that the sky's limit for Logan Gilbert. I'm really excited about him, and I have him in about half of the teams I'm playing in. We're, we're agreeing on like almost every player, which is not the best thing for a podcast, but we're giving you good reasons. We're all giving you different ones, audience. So um, again, these are things to watch for. Uh, we're confused, uh, you know, even though we're excited uh, for some of these too. So yeah, these are some interesting things to watch for. That's Logan Gilbert. Uh, right now we're going to go in a little more, um, you know, even more of a question mark. These are, each of us have a player lined up where... We want to see what they're doing and we want to, we want them to prove to us why we should keep them. Like, let's say you are rostered them and you want to see something out of the gate or they'll be one of your first cut. Um, and I'll just lead off with mine is, is a uh, Kikuchi. Uh, everyone was kind of excited. He seemed like a very popular pick for, for teams to want fans to want off of the free agent market, because after the big names, he was kind of the most intriguing guy left. He's a lefty. The blue Jays end up bringing him in. Rob Silver said it best on Twitter. Um, he had cited statistics where when he was throwing like 96 and above, Cy Young candidate, 94 and below, minor leagues. Uh, and he's very inconsistent. I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if it's, uh, he just needs the extra rest, you know, coming from Japan, maybe just, you know, he needs to be on that, uh, you know, get that extra, extra day if it's a mechanical thing, but he's very inconsistent in his velocity. And if he doesn't keep it up and he can't try to keep it up, consistently, you know, throughout the the season, you know, you, you're going to have to give him some leash in the beginning as everyone builds up. But I, I think I'll be quick to jump ship this year because we saw how good he can be and how horrible he can be. And he's not a guy you can wheel out every time. 
And he's not a guy you can play matchups with because you don't know when the velocity will be there or not. Either the velo's there or it's not. And if it's not, I'm moving away. Uh, what were your, uh, how do you feel about Kikuchi this year, Sarah? Because he is, he is a interesting guy. I am not in on Kikuchi and I, I just, the, the two pitches he throws the most get hammered and, and that scares me, which is a, always something that is a little bit of a red flag. So he throws his fastball and his cutter each about 35% of the time. So 70% of the time, that's the pitch that's coming in. Uh, the, the expected Woba against those pitches, according to Statcast, is 362 and 426. Like that, for, that is that is not good. <laughs> well, it's good for the hitters. It's, it's not good for Kikuchi. I, I think that I'm, I'm out on Kikuchi. That's not somebody that I have any shares of. But if I did have a share by any chance, he's somebody that I would be, he would be on the list of, yeah, I'm ready to drop him if things go, go all right. What do you think, Frank? I mean, his his off speed and breaking. I mean, his his slider and his changeup are like beast pitches. There's no problem there. It's it's basically. I mean, even his fastball has an over thirty percent whiff rate. Uh, but uh, he does. Uh, yeah, kind of lives and dies by his cutter and his four seam. So where do you land on Yusei Kikuchi? I have no shares. I haven't drafted him all off season. And you look at his season last year, first half versus second half. It's basically Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. He was an all star. Uh, by the time we got to you know midsummer, and then after that, he he was someone not even worth rostering. So basically, what you were saying, Matt, I don't know if it's uh, directly tied to his velocity. Maybe it was better early in the season, not so great in the second half. But you kind of give the Blue Jays and Pete Walker, their pitching coach, the benefit of the doubt, right? Because you can squint here and you can see, all right, well, you know, there's he's gone through stretches where Kikuchi has looked really good. And they just did something similar with Robbie Ray. It's not necessarily the same thing, but like you can squint and you can see like, all right, maybe they can squeeze all the value they can out of Yusei Kikuchi. So I think he's definitely someone to pay attention to early. Me personally, I just haven't drafted him. There were always pitchers going around where he was that I was just more intrigued in. And there's there's paths to him being successful that aren't necessarily tied to him having to carry velocity. They could certainly go like the Sunny Gray way or the Cleveland way of having a bad fastball and maybe just learning to spot it better and leaning on your secondaries. There's, there's ways, but yeah, I'm interested to look at him early in the season, see what the blue Jays do because yeah, he teeters uh, from greatness to horrible and uh, yeah, we'll see where he lands. Uh, so that's uh, you say Kikuchi, a player that I need to see something from, or I'm cutting him early. Uh, Sarah, who is your player? Uh, I think it's Paul DeYoung. And I think, you know, he's got the opening day shortstop gig for the Cardinals. He's currently projected to be basically a full-time player, but he really struggled last year. He hit 197. Um, he had some serious issues. And I, I, the problem for DeYoung is not that, you know, the, the glove is fine. The problem for DeYoung is that Edmundo Sosa is sitting on the bench and Edmundo Sosa hits the ball really hard and runs really fast. And I think that there's a possibility for this Cardinals team. You know, the Cardinals are such a rant. As a Cubs fan, this is just killing me. But the Cardinals put together these seasons that I'm like, how did you do that? Nobody can do that. Who is Lars Neufar? What is going on? Like, they just come up with these random guys that get things done. And all of a sudden, it's like there's some fictitious player who's hit, hit, got a 950 OPS. And we're all just like, where did that guy come from? And he'll never do it again. So the Cardinals this year have the trifecta of the Wayno, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols final season. And I just feel like there's a chance the Cardinals start to go on a run and DeYoung is no longer part of that run because Edmundo Sosa gets hot and DeYoung is struggling hitting 200 and he's going to lose that gig. So I think if DeYoung is struggling, you need to be ready to cut him and you need to be ready to look for another shortstop or middle infielder. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not too heavily invested in the uh, the infield of the Cardinals. I do have some uh, some the young shares in like draft and hold. But hey, you're drafting 750 players at a certain point. It's like, okay, he's alive. Um, <laughs> Frank, what are your thoughts here? The very, very right-handed heavy Cardinals who basically kick off the lineup with a switch hitting Carlson and end it with a switch hitting Edmund. And everyone in between is a right-hander, including Albert Pujols, um, who I, you know they have playing every day. I don't know. If they will, this isn't the A's. They don't need to put them in there to chase down home runs for history. They need to win games. So uh, Corey Dickerson, Lars Newbar, they'll probably find themselves in the lineup more often than not. But uh, yeah, uh, Paul DeYoung, uh, what are your thoughts there? I mean, we know how much power he can have when he's uh, when he's going well. Yeah, so I saw an interesting note recently, and someone tweeted this at me too. I should have wrote it down and given him credit, but uh, apparently he worked with some great hitting coach in the offseason, Lorenzo Garmendia. Uh, this offseason, and who also has clients, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Willie Adamas, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez. So apparently this guy has done great work with hitters in the past. And so Paul DeYoung has put in you know more work this offseason, and he's trying to you know get back to the player he was a couple of years ago. I'm not really invested, but you know I could see, again, in those deeper leagues, 15-teamers, NL only, uh, he's someone you might have on your roster. There's also another complication where Nolan Gorman is coming eventually, too. So they have that second-base prospect. Uh, I don't think he's expected to play shortstop, but but maybe they can slide Tommy Edmond over to shortstop or just find a way to make it work. So you have multiple things playing against you here where if DeYoung doesn't perform, there's either Edmundo Sosa or Nolan Gorman that's coming soon. Nolan Gorman, left-handed hitter. <laughs> Get him in there, St. Louis. You, do, you need to mix things up a bit. Uh, so that is uh, Paul DeYoung, uh, Sarah's player. She wants to see something from earlier. She's moving on. Uh, Frank, who is your guy? You sent notes early, so... You know, let's the, the, this guy was name this name was bound to come up. Let's do it. Rip the band-aid. Let's go. Yeah, we've got to talk about Cody Bellinger. I don't know that he'll be the first player that I cut, but we have to see something from him. He is, I think, probably the most polarizing player. I mean, you know, Mondesi's up there too, but Cody Bellinger, I mean, 2019 MVP season. And since then, it's he's tinkering with his batting stance. You start to see him decline there in 2020. Then he dislocates the shoulder in the postseason. He has off-season surgery last year, and then last season was just a complete disaster. Anything that could have gone wrong went wrong for Cody Bellinger. It was a shoulder. Uh, was He had multiple other injuries. I believe it was something with his ankle, or I think it was like a fractured tibia or fibula or something like that, and, uh, and then he was dealing with a rib injury, so he was on the IL off and on all season, um, continuing to tinker with, with his batting stance. Strikeouts were just a massive issue. And then he shows up to spring training and 18 strikeouts in 37 plate appearances. That is a 49% strikeout rate. You see the quotes from Dave Roberts, like Bellinger has finally settled on a batting stance. Like <laughs> it's one thing after another right now, we, you know, we're doing content, uh, content back in February and stuff. And Bellinger was the player I loved then because like we didn't have any, any spring training yet. We had nothing to work off of. And I'm like, Hey, we're getting a former MVP around pick 100. That's where you should take your shot. And now it's just, we need to see something, anything out of Cody Bellinger. So I'm not saying he'll be the first player you cut, but like, I think Memorial Day is usually the cutoff for me. Like first two months of the season for a player you draft inside your top 150 picks, if they are giving you nothing at that point, then I think it's pretty safe to say like, yeah, I'm cutting this player around Memorial Day. The thing with yellow or the thing with like, I'm like mixing this together. <laughs> the same guy. With, They're the same guy. <laughs> the thing with Bellinger is like the people that support him. I mean, no one knows anything, by the way. We're doing the best we can with the information we have. This can go either way. But the information we have isn't good. Um, he's back-to-back -back years after being like MVP, back-to-back -back years of not even being startable 
We're not talking about a guy who had a down year like Lindor, not even startable in fantasy for two years. And we're not saying that he was a bad major league player. I'm saying he shouldn't have been in the majors at all. I mean, 165 uh, with 10 home runs and three stars. I mean, this guy was just awful and there's nothing to suggest he's turning it around other than like a micro um, sample size in the, in the uh, playoffs, which that can happen. To anyone we've seen, we've seen some interesting heroes in the postseason, but I, I can't get on board here because I, I love watching baseball. I'm not like one of the fantasy baseball players that just like looks at score sheets and, and numbers. I live on numbers though. And you, there's nothing, there's nothing there. Uh, you can't draft a guy like this with hope because like, what is the, what is the best case scenario here? Like if someone's on board, I tried asking like, what are you hoping for? And then you'll have people be like, I think he's turning back into Cody Bellinger. I'm like, based on what? Um, Sarah, I mean, what do you think here? Cause I don't think I love looking for comebacks here, but I got to see something and there's just, there's nothing there unless there's like a magical, magical elixir or, you know, there's a genie involved. I, I don't, I don't see this necessarily going well. Matt, I know you want there to be some controversy on the show, but I can't do it for Cody Bellinger. I, I have zero shares. I can't, I didn't draft him anywhere. I didn't draft Yelich anywhere either for that matter. I think they're very similar stories of like former MVP who's been dealing with some lingering injury issues that have totally sapped whatever made them an MVP candidate before. And until I see something new, I, I'm not in even at the discounted price that they both went for this draft season. I think in the case of Cody Bellinger, the, never ending swing tinkering. I wish he would just take a look at some video from 2019 and go back to what he was doing that was working then and just like, let it go. Whatever he's doing at the moment is not working. It actually, I hate to say this. It reminds me a little bit of the swing tinkering that Jason Hayward did when he came over to the Cubs, where it was like Jason Hayward had a new swing every two months and it just kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And there would be a glimpse for like 10 at bats or like 30 plate appearances where you're like, oh yeah, there it is. There's the guy that the Cubs paid all that money for. And then nope, it was gone again. And so I, I hope that I'm wrong about that. But a lot of what I see from Cody Bellinger reminds me of what I saw in the early years of the Hayward contract with the Cubs. And I'm out. Again, just going back, I don't mean to beat this with a horse. A lot of people, he's been he's been a guy that a lot of people have talked about in main events, NFBC main events. I'll just use that because it's a it's a big enough sample size and it's very they're all recent. Um, Cody Bellinger was being taken. I can even find him here. Uh, about pick one twenty eight with a min of one or of eighty nine. Um, I just again, I I'm throwing out a random pitcher here, a random uh, hitter because you're probably going to put Bellinger in your outfield. Uh, Run Hunter Renfro going at pick 182. Like, give me the numbers that tells me that Cody Bellinger is definitely going to be better than Hunter Renfro because you have to by drafting him that early. But the thing is, you can't even give me numbers that suggest he's even be anywhere close as good as Hunter Renfro. Um, I love Hunter Renfro, by the way, which is where I brought him up. Uh, very good value late in drafts, but you know, here we are. Cody Bellinger, gross. I mean, good luck to you. Uh, you seem like a great guy uh, and an interesting guy to talk to. So I wish you nothing but the best, but the Dodgers are here to win. And I don't think you're going to have the leash you did last year. They have a, they have a lot of interesting, talented players there. They can replace you with very quickly. So yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely got to watch early. Um, 
so that'll lead us to the uh, towards the end of the show. We run a little bit late, but we're going to end up with some award predictions, which are always fun. We'll kind of cruise through, through these a little bit. Not too much explanation needed. This first round, these are not hot takes. These are purely who we think are going to win these awards uh, in the league. And we'll just kind of go round robin style and let the audience think who we think is going to take away the hardware, starting with the American League uh, MVP award. Sarah, who do you have winning the American League MVP? I think Vladito is going to win the triple crown, win the MVP and lead the blue Jays to the postseason. It's going to be awesome. Can't go wrong with Vlad. Uh, Frank, who you got? Yeah. So I have Luis Robert. He stays healthy. He puts it all together. 30 plus homers, 20 plus deals. We saw him cut down the strikeouts last year. Batting average was way up. Uh, leads the white Sox to another division title. One of the best records in baseball. Uh, I've got Luis Robert. Uh, yeah. Can't go wrong with Luis Robert either. Fantastic offense. Going to score a million runs. I got Jordan Alvarez. Uh, think he get 50 home runs. Um, I think that he is the next Miguel Cabrera. I think that he has that in him. So I think he could come as early as this season. Love me some Jordan Alvarez. Uh, National League MVP. Uh, who do you have, Sarah? Trey Turner. I think Trey Turner put it all together last year, and it was so pretty. He's hitting the ball to all fields. He's stealing bags, and he's going to do it for an L.A. Dodgers team that is going to be in the mix all year long. And I think it's Trey Turner MVP season. Someone in I put in I put, we'll get to it are like ridiculously ridiculous hot takes later. Someone in the uh, in my thread earlier on Twitter put that uh, Trey Turner scores 160 runs, <laughs> which you know ain't gonna happen. But if anyone could, it's probably like him or like George Springer. Um, Frank, who do you got National League MVP? Yes, I'm gonna remain consistent here. Francisco Lindor. I think he bounces back in a major way after a disappointing first season with the Mets. Batting average bounces back. 30-plus homers, maybe 20 steals. Obviously, really strong defense. Uh, Mets win the NL East, and as a result, Lindor is uh, their best player. Well, I don't got to add anything much because my pick is Francisco Lindor. Ditto. Uh, Going over the American League, again, for the Cy Young Awards, Sarah, who do you have winning the hardware? I think it's Lucas Giolito. Uh, I think he's going to lead the White Sox. The White Sox rotation took a big big hit with l- losing Lynn for a little bit. And I think Lucas Giolito is going to step up and I and that's going to be your AL Cy Young. And I'm excited for it. I think Lucas Giolito is a great guy. You guys are leaving me very little to say. He's my pick as well. I think he leads the American League in strikeouts, gets 250 plus. Frank, who do you got? American League Cy Young. Yeah, I think Justin Verlander. I think he turns back the clocks. I think he looks like himself, uh, puts up elite ratios, 250-plus strikeouts, over 180 innings. He just had an awesome spring. Velocity looks fine. I just think he's Justin Verlander. He certainly looked good uh, very early on. I can't Basically a two-year layoff. He's he's looked good. Um, National League Cy Young. Sarah, who do you got? I got Brandon Woodruff. I think sometimes he gets a little bit outshone by the fact that he plays with Corbin Burns, but I think Woodruff's going to kick it up to another level this season. And I think he's going to lead the Brewers are the class of the NL central. I don't think that anybody is going to challenge them for that division. And they are one of the teams that has not yet won a world series. So it'll be interesting to see if Brandon Woodruff and his excellent season can lead them to it. But I think he's excited. I've seen some people try to like poo poo, Woodruff a little bit because of the DH coming to the National League. And I, yeah, I disagree. <laughs> uh, he's, he's certain against the Cubs, the Reds, and the Pirates. I think his numbers are going to be just fine. I will say the Reds, for as much as they're trying to hurt their team's, their fans' feelings, 
have have not gone one one step far one step far enough again. Last year they tried to break it down and were good. They would have made the playoffs under the new new rules. And this year again, I think they're not going to be that bad. Um, it depends on the rookie pitchers, obviously. But uh, just side note, Reds fans, I mean, you're going to probably not make the playoffs, but it, you have some exciting players still. Uh, Frank, National League, uh, Cy Young, who you got. Yeah, I'm with Sarah here. I have Brandon Woodruff as well. I think just going up against the Pirates, the Cubs, the Reds consistently, uh, you know, he he won nine games last year. That was so fluky. I think, you know, if he pitches to the same level he did last season, he could compete to lead baseball in saves. He could get 20 plus, uh, 20 plus wins rather, not saves. So Brandon Woodruff for me. Brandon Woodruff ends the year with 20 wins and 20 saves. He's winning the Cy Young. <laughs> mark, it, mark it down. Uh, I have Joe Musgrove. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, there's some people that uh, were were uneasy about the way he ended the year. His spin rate went nowhere. It actually went up. I think he just wore down because he's not, you know, it's his first year kind of pitching at elite level for a whole season. I think that he'll uh, the, the, the Padres need him, and I think he again has a he has a chance to lead the National League in strikeouts. I think he does. So Joe Musgrove is my guy in the National League for Cy Young, and uh, Frank and Sarah both went with Brandon Woodruff going to the American League uh, for Rookie of the Year. Is it possible we all have the same pick here? Probably not. There's a lot of interesting guys here. I don't know. I'm going with Spencer Torkelson. I love what the Tigers are putting together out there in Detroit, as I already said. And I just, I think he's going to have a monster year and I think he's going to have a lot of guys supporting him to do it. And I think AJ Hinch is going to give him running room to get it done. I have FOMO like crazy. on not drafting Torkelson only because of the position he plays. He was just being drafted a little too early for me when there's value late. And I just, I'm so sad. I don't have shares because I'm with you. I think he's going to be a monster out of the gate. Uh, so uh, Spencer Torkelson, Sarah's rookie of the year pick in the American league. Frank, who do you got? American league is loaded too. Like there's so many options to choose from here oh, up at the top, but I'm going with one of the chalk picks. I'm going Julio Rodriguez. I think he could hit 20 plus homers, maybe even compete for 20 steals as well. Awesome defense, uh, exciting team with the Seattle Mariners, but man, I think Witt, Torkelson, even Adley Rutschman are up there as well. So many good options. I have Julio Rodriguez as well. I wrote a whole article on Bobby Witt Jr. for The Athletic, and I like him. Uh, but rookies are rookies. He had like a 25-ish percent strikeout rate in AAA. Um, usually that increases in the majors. I think he'll have around a 30% rate this year. I think he'll still be good, especially in fantasy. He could struggle and still be a monster. Uh, and I expect him to be good right out of the gate. But Julio Rodriguez is different. Um one thing that usually goes from the minors to the majors is that play discipline. And he is just on another level of some of these guys. You can't take anything for granted. Uh, You know, anyone can struggle. Just look at recent examples. But again, even Jared Kalenic, uh, Julio Rodriguez is on a different level in terms of his ability, I think, to transfer over to the majors. I don't think there'll be much of a drop off here. I think the adjustments will be swift and he'll be hitting at the top of the lineup in no time. So yeah, I love me some Julio Rodriguez, but yeah, it's a stack stacked American league. Uh, so let's go over to the national league, Sarah. Um, who do you have winning the national league rookie of the year? going to end this with a Homer pick. I think it's Seiya Suzuki and I am real excited to see what he can do coming over from Japan. If you, so I just have to recommend a piece that I found on the community side of fan graphs uh, that needs a shout out. I tweeted it last week when I found it, but it compares the last season that the most recent players coming over from Japan had offensively. And I don't think I realized until I read this piece that Seiya Suzuki has a better hit tool or at least had a better hit tool in the NPB then Shohei Otani did. Now, that's not to say he's Shohei Otani. Like, obviously, Shohei Otani is a two-way player, but I think Seiya Suzuki is going to mash uh, in Chicago, and I'm excited for it. 
that that is my pick as well. Uh, he he looks comfortable. He really does. He has a nice high finish like Otani. He looks good. Uh, the scouts have just been going over how impressive his power looks. Good enough for me. He's uh, he's, he already has some experience, which is just a a leg up on the competition in the National League anyway. Um, so yeah, Sadia Suzuki is my pick as well. And he's, you know, everyday bats from day one. It's just, uh, it looks good. And uh, the Pirates took away my favorite option. Um, so Frank, who's your pick for National League Rookie of the Year? I'm going with that Pirates option. O'Neill Cruz, I think that he'll be up by late April. He'll come up, hit 20 plus homers, 20 plus deals. It sounds like a lot, but you look at his 150 game pace in the minors last season, 37 homers, 41 steals. The power and the speed on this guy is legit. I think he's going to be awesome. I love O'Neill Cruz. I, I live in South Jersey. I'll be traveling out to PNC just to see this guy. Actually, I already talked about Sarah. I was, I was going to stop at PNC and then I was going to go over to Cleveland to get myself a Jose Ramirez bobblehead. Um, so we have I'm getting that Jose Ramirez bobblehead. That is happening. Cruz, O'Neill Cruz, he's like nine feet tall. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how um, that translates to the majors over a full sample size. We'll see how major league pitching tries to combat that, but oh, he could be special. Uh, so we're going to end the end the episode. I, again, apologize for going a little long here, but uh, uh, some ridiculous, just ridiculous hot takes. Let's go with just something just totally off the rails. This is not a hot take. This is not a, a bold prediction. This is just something that you think could happen. But like, it's still like, obviously a little ludicrous. <laughs> so let's, let's keep it fun here. Sarah, who, what do you have prepared for us? I think Kyle Schwarber is going to hit over 45 home runs. I have that hit tool is real and monster. He's hit 39 before in the big leagues. He's going to Philadelphia, which is a great part place to hit. And he gets to keep working with Kevin Long, who is the guy that unlocked the other level for him last year offensively with the Nationals. Kyle Schwarber is going to have just an absolute mashing season and more than 45 home runs. I actually almost said he's going to hit 50. Like, I think the dude is just going to rake. 45. You can't hedge. You got to go 50. You got to go 50. You can't go 40. Sure, let's, let's make it 50. <laughs> the, uh, I bet you can win some money in bar bets by saying, uh, having people bet on who has more 40 home run years, Reese Hoskins or Kyle Schwarber it may blow their mind to know neither of them have one yet. Uh, but yeah, he's in Philadelphia. That could be scary. Frank, who do you have? Who's your ludicrous, uh, prediction for the year? I do love the call on Kyle Schwarber, by the way. So if, uh, if any, betting people out there little sprinkle on uh, Kyle Schwarber to lead baseball in home runs. I'm, I'm all about it uh, for me. Lourdes Gurriel finishes as the most valuable hitter on the blue Jays this season. He surpasses Vlad. He surpasses Bo Bichette and Teoscar Hernandez. He has to surpass three hitters that are going in the first three rounds of drafts. Uh, but the hit tool is there. He makes a lot of contact probably has to tweak the launch angle a little bit to make this happen. Uh, put the ball in the air more than he does. But, man, if he does that, I think he can hit 335 home runs and chip in a little bit of speed as well. So uh, it, it's pro it probably looks a lot like the Teoscar Hernandez season that we got just one season ago and then probably baking in some regression from, like, Vlad and, and Bobachet. You know how hard a prediction that is? Is that even if he turns in that season, there's like still a pretty good chance he's nowhere near the best hitter on the Blue Jays. Right, right. Blue Jays are good. Uh, too good. Um, the uh, my pick, I've put it out there. This isn't one of the three ludicrous ones I put. Like Tyler, like Tyler McGill has more strikeouts than Verlander. Obviously, that would probably have a lot to do with opportunity and health more than everything. And McGill going forward, but uh, Los Angeles Angels, like Trout, they've got Jared Walsh, they've got Shohei Otani, they've got. Um, They've got Anthony Rendon. The, the player that will lead the Angels in home runs is Joe Adele. That is who leads the Angels in home runs this season. That is my pick. He looked like a beast 
last year before getting that, uh, uh, like he, he was turning around before he had that abdominal injury and he looked very good this spring. And I think he'll be out there every day. Justin Upton has been bit, you know, they bid him adieu and he's going to be out there every day. I think Joe Adele has himself a monster season. Uh, so, uh, that does it for the turn Two podcast. I am so excited for opening day. Sarah, do you have any final thoughts, predictions for a world series, how you think your Cubs are going to do and uh, let everyone know how, where they can follow you and where they should uh, subscribe and, and, and all that good stuff. And the Cubs are probably a 72 to 77 win team. I, I, you know, if all this half Frazier magic happens and they decide to go in, maybe, maybe they sneak into a 500 season, but the Cubs are, the Cubs are really setting themselves up for next year. That will be Brennan Davis season, by the way, keep an eye on him in the minors. That is a special, special bat. Um, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. Uh, you can subscribe to my podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue. And by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can find my writing over at Bleed Cubby Blue. I do most of the stats work over there a little bit of looking at the standings and those types of things, you know, just analyzing baseball. And I'm thrilled to have the game back so that that writing, uh, so that I can get that writing done because it's a lot of fun. A lot more fun when there's games. Cup of Cubby Blue. That is so fun to say. Uh, I, I suggest everyone listening just does that. It just put a smile on your face. Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, Sarah, before we move on to Frank here, who leads the Cubs in saves? We need to know. So I, I think that the early saves chances are probably going to David Robertson, but the guy that I've got my eye on is Michael Gibbons. I think I watched him just pitch some lights out inning in the spring. And when you Gibbons has always pitched in these massive hitter friendly ballparks, he's been in Baltimore, he's been in Cincinnati, like Gibbons with the Cubs, I think is going to be the guy getting the saves by probably May or June. All right, everybody, you heard it. Frank, you uh, you host some podcasts no one's ever heard of. Let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, yeah, so you can find me at Fantasy Baseball Today. We also got a five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. Uh, World Series prediction, I've got the Brewers over the White Sox. I think the Brewers are just like the most complete team in baseball right now. And if Christian Yelich even bounces back, you know, remotely close to the player that he was, and I, I think that they could just like run away with things this upcoming season. So Brewers over White Sox, Fantasy Baseball Today. That's where you can find my work. Man, I was on the Brewers last year. They disappointed me. I, I really, I had them picked to go to the World Series last year. Man, maybe Keston Hira has a pulse left. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of exciting things that could could happen in Milwaukee. They, the rotation is, is ridiculous. The bullpen is ridiculous. Um, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. You can follow me on Twitter, M-E-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. Make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already uh, for wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, check out my work over The Athletic. So thank you for listening. Next time we will be talking about baseball games, like ones that actually occurred, and that could be more exciting. So we'll catch you next week. See you, everybody. My, oh, my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The x fipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do?
Wind leaves. Wind leaves. Catch out. Catch out. <laughs> Peace.